Welcome to Evidence to Excellence, news in neuroplasticity and rehab powered by The Recovery Project. We want to personally welcome and thank you for joining us today. We're glad that you're here because this podcast is designed to keep you updated on what's new in research and evidence in the neurorehabilitation world. Now, here's your host, Polly Swingle, CEO and co-owner of The Recovery Project. Welcome everybody to the next episode of Evidence to Excellence. This is our 25th episode and for anybody that's new that is listening to us, this is a podcast where we focus on science and evidence um, in rehabilitation and rehabilitation where we utilize therapists, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, and we talk about the newest science and evidence in programming on how we in the rehab industry treat individuals with diseases and injuries. So thank you so much if you are new to listening to us. Thank you so much for you guys that have been following us for all of these episodes. So today we are going to talk about sensory integration, sensory processing. And um, I think this is a, a topic that I know here at the Recovery Project that we're really talking about a lot with our FMD population. And we're seeing this integration of using these techniques through our occupational therapy um, department. So today we have with us Alicia DeMay, and she has a Master of Science in Occupational Therapy. And before I get to Alicia, Alicia before has been on this podcast, and she's been... um, talking with us when we talked about um, FMD. Um, so I'm going to get back to Alicia in a second, but I want to give a little intro here on some sensory processing disorders. And when I was doing my own research and looking into this, this is something, as you guys know, I'm a physical therapist, that this is not an area really in the realm of physical therapy that we get a ton of education on. So this was very interesting to me and intriguing to me. So first of all, we're going to talk about sensory processing disorder. And if you're not familiar with this, this is a condition in which the brain has trouble receiving and responding to information that comes through our senses. So right, what are our senses? Our senses are seeing, hearing, touching, tasting so many of these sensations that Alicia is really going to dive into. Um, a lot of the sensory processing disorders, disorders formerly were referred to sensory integration dysfunction. Um, and now, you know, what we're seeing is many of the disorders that have these diagnoses have a component of a sensory processing problem or disorder. Some people with sensory processing disorders are oversensitive to things in their environment. Common sounds may be painful or overwhelming. Um, the light touch of a shirt may, may really irritate and cause somebody to be very uncomfortable. Some other sensory processing, processing disorders may be uh, seeing some uncoordination of the limbs, of walking, somebody that tends to bump into things a lot, being unable to tell where their limbs are in space. We see this in our functional movement disorders. Um, hard to engage in conversation or play. We're going to talk a little bit about what we see in adults because this is a very common disorders that we see in our younger children in our pediatric population. They may have a hard time of tolerating multiple sensory environments. They may feel 
um, easily triggered during particular sensory experiences. For example, bright light, uh, a loud sound, um, certain textures on their skin. Um, so again, we'll dive deeply into this. And sensory processing problems are usually, as I said before, identified in children's. We see this a lot in the pediatric population that may have been di diagnosed with autism, so in that spectrum disease. But we are also seeing this in adults, and many, many adults are affected by this. And there are some adults that are affected by this and very high-functioning adults, meaning that they don't come in and see Alicia or an occupational therapist but there also are some adults that this um, disorder um, starts to affect their daily function and they do seek out medical professionals. Um, treatment of these sensory processing disorders, you know, is the intervention of sensory integration techniques. So we are going to talk about that today. Um, and again, um, with our OT, Alicia. So Alicia works at the Recovery Project, and we're very blessed to have her as our lead therapist in our Lansing office. And again, if you're new to this podcast, we have done several podcasts on our FMD program that is located in our Lansing, Michigan um, clinic. And Alicia is the occupational therapist that treats all of these patients as well as the lead. And she has a lot on her plate. She manages uh, kind of the day-to-day -day operations here in Lansing. And I know that this is a um, interest of yours, Alicia. Thank you for being here. And that you um, really use these techniques so much because you see such a large volume of FMD patients here. So thank you for being here with me today and sharing all of your knowledge. So let's get a little background here and first talk a little bit about OT. So if you can let our audience know what does an OT do, maybe what the definition is if people aren't familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hi. Uh, yeah. So what does OT do? So occupational therapists assess clients for functional deficits and daily activities. These activities can include basic um, things such as like feeding oneself or bathing to more complex things like grocery shopping or preparing a meal. So OTs look at the whole person, which includes biomechanical, cognitive, and sensory integration, which may impact performance. So not just one area of function, but all the areas, and we look at all the things that go into that. Yeah, and I know that OTs are such a critical team member for a multidisciplinary team, wherever that may be. If it's in a neural outpatient setting, if it's in an FMD program, which we absolutely do, um, you know, and you're seeing that an OT is critical in that team member of working, especially people with neurological disorders, because so much that returning to their ability to do those ADLs is the famous, you know, activities of daily living, but um, also really incorporating those skills so people can have a higher quality of life. So we were today we're going to talk about sensory integration, and I know that that is part of your education, right, to be an occupational therapist. So can you talk a little bit more about why is sensory integration kind of part of being an OT? Yeah, yeah, so... Sensory processing, sensation is how we interpret and interact with our environment. Sensory processing is one area which can cause defic functional deficits, um, just like cognition or a muscular skeletal problem would. Um, people with, with 
like everyone has a, a sensory profile. There's no wrong way to be. There's no wrong, you know, preferences or dislikes. Um, but my job is to, you know, identify those problems and then improve awareness and understanding so that I can empower the patients to better regulate their nervous system and improve engagement in their preferred activities. Perfect. So today we're specifically going to talk about sensory processing disorders and how you utilize sensory integration techniques to help these patients remedy these these issues that we're going to talk about. And here we primarily work with adults. And again, as I said earlier, that this really sensory integration is a technique that is utilized strongly in the pediatric population developmentally to help these children development to develop normally as well in those individuals that may have autism on whatever um, spectrum that is. But today we're going to talk about the adult population um, and we're going to focus on that. So what adult diagnoses in your experience have you seen that have some of these sensory processing um, issues? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think sensory integration in adults is a really important topic to discuss because like all of the talk around sensory processing disorders, nine and a half times out of 10 is about children. Like looking that yeah. up, looking into that, um, even the um, continuing ed that I've done, it really talks about children more than adults. So I'm just, I'm so glad that we're getting this information out there. Um so, but to answer your question further, I'm, I'm seeing sensory dysregulation heavily within our FMD population. There's a few articles out there with, you know, that talk specifically about sensory processing and the sensory profile kind of, um, looking a certain way with folks with FMD. But, um, I think it's also to apply, good to apply this, um, what we're going to talk about today to people that have like post-concussion syndrome, cerebral palsy, adults with, uh, you know, that are on the autism spectrum, like just because they're not kids anymore doesn't mean that they're not interacting with their world um, like a neurotypical person no, would it, be. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you mentioned, you know, post-concussion because absolutely that is one diagnosis I think that is being recognized in the medical community that we are really intervening with a multidisciplinary team. And mm -hmm. definitely some of those individuals may have sensory issues. You know, one of the big ones is, is light. Yep. They have a hard time with light or hearing or headaches that may be due to these sensory um, issues. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention too, and you already said with, with, with adults that may be High functioning, I mean, they may, may be working, have families, get married, but still have these components of these difficulties with their integrating their sensory system that through their life that may pop up and become more prevalent. Mm -hmm. And that we want people to understand that as we go through this, if some of these things we talk about, you'll be like, oh my God, that's me. Like, I have that. And there's certain times when I'm more... Yeah, I'm going to use the word irritated, but more irritated with it versus others. And if some of these sensory issues start to interfere with your quality of life, with your function, that there is help out there for you that you can have treatment, go see an occupational therapist, and we can help you with this. So if you know, what causes these sensory processing problems? So I don't 
think this is like not yet been clearly identified. However, uh, my hypothesis is it's a combination of genetic and environmental factors. Like specifically with the FMD population, I think I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but um, the, you know, the trauma that they've been through has put their nervous system on high alert. A lot of the times these folks have been, you know, some level of trauma. And so that is now affecting how much of their environment they're taking in and having to process all at once. Yeah. And I think it's, and we've, we've talked before in some of our FMD podcasts about this learning to regulate your nervous system and, you know, everybody out there, we know that the sensory system is part of your nervous system, of course. And also that autonomic nervous system really does have this integration of the sensory system. So, you know, teaching people for sure in our FMD program to regulate their nervous system, but you're also seeing this in the practice of meditation, in the practice of even yoga, where people are learning through breath work, through meditation, quieting their mind of here are things that we can do in our lives to regulate our nervous system, to decrease stress. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of this, I look at this and it's like, just really helps with overall wellness and health as we age. So listen, guys, you can use some of these techniques on your own as well, just to monitor, just to regulate our nervous system and have a higher quality of life and decrease stress. So let's switch gears here and talk about the adult population, um, all your experience with FMD and really integrate this conversation on what do these sensory processing problems look like in your experience, especially in the FMD population? Yeah. So like I kind of just mentioned, these folks tend to have a history of trauma, whether big trauma or traumas or little traumas, like they just tend to be type A personalities where, um, um, and, and so this puts their nervous system in a heightened state and, and with this, they're often taking in a lot of sensory information with their, in their environment, which leads to hypersensitivity, which often leads to, you know, triggering symptoms. So think about, um, a stressful situation such as crossing a busy intersection, lots of cars moving, lots of lights. Maybe there's, you know, people walking their dogs. There's a lot to take in. Um, you need to be on high alert for this situation because you don't want to walk into somebody or get hit by a car. Right. Um, so your, your senses are heightened. You're looking out for threats typically in the FMD population because of what they've been through, um, that, you know, they're kind of stuck in this heightened phase. And so they're on high alert all the time and it's very taxing to their nervous system. They're, they're just simply trying to make a sandwich and, you know, the dryer dinging sets off their symptoms. It's their, their, you know, their cup is full and one drop overflows it. Overflows it. You know, and some of those symptoms, again, you know, FM, a functional movement disorder. So if somebody may have an, a, a tremor or a, a tick or, you know, an abnormal movement through their arm or their lower extremity, let's say, or, you know, shaking as they're sitting that really that that level of that heightened nervous system, if it's like you said, a baby crying, mm-hmm. that would just like they can't process that. And then all of a sudden you may see the tremor in their hand increase. Right. Or that 
abnormal movement in their leg increase. So it's not just, it could be a sound, it could be a smell, it could be a bright light, it could be just too many in a crowded room, mm-hmm. right? So that sensation that there's so many people close to you, around you, and maybe not even touching you, but still that's your sensory system processing that, that all of a sudden they can't calm that down and we see these these abnormal abnormal movements and you know a lot of the times I know that we've talked about this with FMD it's kind of like how do we break down that movement to reorganize that movement system right hardware versus software but the importance here of it's not just the movement pattern but it's also that integration of that sensory system is what I'm hearing you say that Mm -hmm. you definitely have to address those needs that contribute to those abnormal movements. So do you, do you assess this? Are there, there tools? How do you assess this in the adult population? Yeah, I use the adult and adolescent sensory profile to help understand a client's sensory preferences and processing tendencies. So I usually talk through the questionnaire with them as opposed to just having them do it independently. That can, that way I can assist with clarifying any of the questions, but also gain an understanding of which areas they may be more sensitive to or or, or what? If you do it enough times, you'll, you kind of start to see a pattern and you pick up on different things okay. with different people. So, um, it's definitely very interesting. I would think that as you assess and come up with these conclusions, results, or patterns, just communicating that to your patient, because they may not even have that acknowledgement or recognize that this is a pattern. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know just like within myself when all of a sudden I recognize like, wow, that really does bother me or that smell of that triggers this in me that sometimes that's maybe part of the solution is just the recognition of what your triggers are in your enormous sensory system. Right. Sometimes it's just bringing their awareness to it. Like you, I give them their results and they're like, yeah, that totally, that's totally me. Like, and me, and a lot of the times they say, well, before this all started, that was not the case. Like, I wish I had a profile done before so I can p- compare it to now. And so that's where it kind of comes in with the like environmental factors yeah. of how your sensory profile can change over time. Well, and our, our, our environment changes over time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As we evolve from children to young adults, to adults, to functioning adults and aging, Right. And Mm -hmm. the stresses of life ebbs and flows that absolutely. And and I I can absolutely see that, that that could happen. That is so interesting. Um, So we we talk about evidence here. So is there evidence or growing body of evidence that suggests a relationship between the affect and the sensory processing patterns? And what does this look like in an FMD patient? So can you kind of talk a little bit about what you're seeing with the science, which is such a new topic here in FND as well as FMD? Yeah. So, so unfortunately there's just not a ton of research out there about functional neurological disorders and like even sensory processing specifically with adults. So, you know, I can't really say that there's a specific pattern for FMD patients. Um, I can only talk about my experience. So, um, in general, you know, it kind of just depends on how they are 
responding to their their sensory experiences, you know, um, about how they're in this heightened state of fight or flight. So maybe they're going to be more easily triggered in, in that way versus um, freezing more so. Um, but in general, our goal is to improve their understanding and, wear, and awareness of their sp- specific sensory patterns and needs in order to empower them to make the adjustments necessary to improve their autonomic nervous system regulation. So I, I, I did read an article recently on kind of the OT's um, involvement in the FMD and kind of all these areas that you guys look at. And this article was talking about sensory processing problems as it relates to an FMD. And they talked about the importance of education, as you just said, the importance of goal setting, the importance of teaching this self-regulation and promoting positive health behavior. So I want to break this down a little bit and just pick your brain a little bit on each component and kind of give me an overview. So education. So can you tell me a little bit about, and you kind of already said that, but really just what that looks like for a patient to first just start educating them that there's something going on that's not normal with your sensory system. Yeah, I think just helping that, like, explain, doing the sensory profile with them and explaining, like, here's here's what's going on in your sensory system. And and like I said before, a lot of the times they're just like, oh, yep, that makes a lot of sense. That's totally me. Um, and them just understanding it helps them know like okay here's the problem or here's just how I am and and here's what I need to do and you know then we go into our treatment of here's what you need to do to regulate yourself so in our FMD program here you are seeing people for a very very short period of time Mm -hmm. so you have if if you guys aren't familiar with this the program here is an outpatient program five-day program where a, a patient will come in and work with the FMD team and they're here typically six hours a day. And so it is like you see them on that first day and you only have five days. And I do have to say this team is incredible with the results that they get um, in just five days. So right away on that day one, are from a sensory standpoint, are you setting a goal for them? So on day one, we do a lot of our testing. A lot of the times I don't get to the sensory profile until day two. Um, however, with, within day one, when I'm, you know, getting to know the patient and, you know, kind of seeing what's going on, um, I'm asking them, are you having sensory sensitivities? Uh, you know, is there anything in particular that, that bothers you or that triggers your symptoms? And, um, that's important. You know, that's a big thing with the sensory profile. I'm not just going to do it with everybody just to do it. I want to see like, do I kind of have a hypothesis before I implement this assessment? Um, because with FMD, which is a whole nother topic, you know, there's a lot of things that go into FMD. So it may, they may have a small slice of their pie that is sensory related. They might have a big sense slice of their pie that is sensory related. So that's kind of for me to determine on day one, how we're going to go. I know that you always talk about these sensory snacks. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. Like you identify a sensory snack that you kind of tell your patients that you can use these throughout the day for, to help regulate their autonomic nervous system, such as 
chewing gum. Mm -hmm. What else? Rocking in a chair. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, so in helping them understand how to self-regulate, we're going to go through the sensory motor profile and our checklist and have them determine, you know, which things are increasing their level of arousal, which things are decreasing their level of arousal. And, um, and from there, we're kind of determining, okay, you're in this heightened state. Let's pick some things that are down-regulating to you that are going to be your snacks. These are things that you can take with you, quote unquote. So whether that's a physical thing of like gum or pretzels to crunch on, um, it could also just be like rocking in your chair, fidgeting with your pen, bouncing your foot. Like these are, you're going to start to realize now, like, okay, everyone has these little things that they do to regulate and you do too. And you just don't really realize it, but knowing it and bringing that awareness to it, like you can implement them of like, okay, I'm feeling a little bit heightened. Um, okay. I need to like regulate myself. I need to, you know, calm my nervous system a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and and bounce my knee a little bit and focus my attention there. So that's your little snack. That little that's thing. That's a snack. That little thing that may just be, okay, I'm feeling a little heightened because they get this recognition that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to say I'm getting a little jacked up. But mm-hmm. yeah, right? Yep. So you're mm-hmm. feeling like, okay, something something is going it's starting to bother me. So you're going to teach them, here is the snack that works for you. Mm-hmm. I've heard you talk about these meals. Yep. So what's the difference between this? I know the difference between a snack and a meal. Yep. But how do you def- you know define that with your clients? Yep. So meals are going to be more um, like bigger activities, things that take a little bit longer to do. So it could be an actual sitting down for an actual meal. It could be like taking a shower. It could be a leisure activity of like playing tennis or painting. Um, Meals are going to be more focused activities that you're going to do. And I'm going to just highly encourage you to turn the TV off, turn off the the podcast, not this one, but, (laughs) uh, you know, really focus your attention, like get in the shower tomorrow morning or whenever you shower and really just enjoy the silence, listen to how the water sounds hitting the ground, feel how it feels running across your body. What is your body wash smell like? Get all of your senses involved and just be really present in that moment, not worrying about what's next, what happened yesterday, your to-do list, really just enjoying that sensory experience. Cause our bodies, we are sensory beings and our world is so crazy and and we need to stop and just really be present in those moments. When you're giving those examples, to me it's not focusing so internally mm-hmm. on and I and again I thank goodness I don't have FMD, but I would think focusing on you know, like when I get anxious, like this feeling of being anxious where my heart rate goes up and maybe tingly, but kind of making it more external. Yep. So bringing that focus, taking my shower, and I love what you just said, of taking that shower and smelling the scent of my shampoo. Mm-hmm. Feeling as I'm soaping up and, and, you know, so bringing that away from thinking what's going on internally, but kind of focusing, focusing on something externally yeah. that then absolutely that makes sense to me will all of a sudden calm the nervous system mm-hmm. i love love that um are there anything like 
you kind of talked a little bit about environmentally that somebody could do to modify. And I think you kind of said that, like, if you have those kind of households where the TV's always on, mm-hmm. and there are some households, there's always noise. And I think that may be something that I struggle with because I get a little anxious when there's a lot of noise in overlapping my... noise yeah yes and yeah. i know that i do very very well and and the older i get and i don't know if it's just because i'm getting older but i i really move towards and want that i don't want any noise and it, and it calms me down and i'm sure that's a sensory yeah thing but you're not gonna not go to the sports bar with your friends right because the overlapping sound bothers you. So, okay, what do we do then? Like, I'm not going to tell you don't go. I mean, that's an option, you know, considering what's going on in your life, but go before you go, try and down regulate, like before you go, um, you know, that it's going to differ from person to person, but do some calisthenics, do some stretching, do some, um, sit in the hot tub. I don't know. Do some things that are going to calm your nervous system so that you can kind of think of yourself, okay, I'm only like a two out of 10. And, and then when you go to the sports bar, um, you know, plan on having your snacks with you, quote unquote, that you're going to do while you're there. Now you're aware that, okay, I'm probably going to get a little bit heightened. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's my hideout space. I'm going to let my friends know, like, I'm going to go to the bathroom or, I'm going to run out to my car just to do like maybe a quick two, three minute meditation so that that I can go back in, um, you know, go and you're going to be more tolerable of the overlapping noise. Uh, the more that you practice this. Yeah, it is practice. I know one of the things that I I wanted to ask is, you know, how do you teach this self-regulation? And and, and you're already answering my question, but you know, really the importance in your role as the occupational therapist is a recognizing here's your triggers and then kind of first here's your snacks here's how you can change the environment but really them the people the adult recognizing i need to self-regulate my nervous system and Mm -hmm. you were just saying these great examples do you want to elaborate elaborate a little bit more on that of how do you teach the self-regulation of the nervous system yeah so and i think a, a big thing about um you know, we, a lot of times we listen to these podcasts and we're like, but what do you do in the clinic? Like, right. I can't go to the sports bar with my patient so that we can practice this yeah. together. Like, if you can, sweet, that's awesome, but that's just not the reality. So in the clinic, what are we going to do in our five-day program? We're going to, you know, first educate them, figure out what their strategies are, and then we're going to get into applying them in the clinic. So I really like to do... Um, if anyone's ever heard of balavisics, it's a it's a where you're passing a sandbag around in different patterns. I love that because I can layer on a lot of different um, layers <laughs> to the activity and slowly increase the demand on their nervous system. Okay. And then I'm watching. So our FMD program is for movement disorder. So their movement starts to come out. You know, they're they're starting to have the tremor. I, I see that I'm triggering them. So then the goal is for them to say, Alicia, I need to stop. This is what I need to do. And for them to take the ownership of it. um, And that's what's really going to make it so that they can then 
end the week and go home and apply these strategies. Um, it's not that, okay, you need to keep doing therapy. It's not, it's not that it's that they leave the week with the tools in their toolbox and the understanding of what do I need to do when I leave here? And then they need to go do it in their real environment with repetition. But in the clinic, it's our job to make sure that they understand what they need when they need to do it. And then that they have that, like get that autonomy back of like, this is what I need. Right, right. That is fascinating. And I'm sure it's sometimes as you go through the week, passing the bean bags may be in a quiet room. But then you add... I might add like a cognitive task or maybe we're standing on a a balance board or maybe we've, you know, now we're out in the gym and we've got the music playing and the other patients around and there's always somebody slamming a ball on the ground. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. But again, it's that triggering not tr- i know shouldn't use that word stimulating their other sensories mm-hmm. their other sensations their other sensory systems so that they can manage that movement disorder recognize that recognize and i love how they say alicia i i can feel it now adding that one thing me now in the gym with all these other people moving around these noises i may have a hard time regulating yep that is awesome um so one of the things that is talked about, and you might have just already mentioned this, but, you know, talking about positive health behaviors. And I know in, in the program that you work in, it's five days. So, you know, you, you give these patients examples of what they can do at home so they can be successful with the integration of their nervous system and their sensory system. Give me some examples of that. Yeah. So, so we talked about the sensory meals. I'm going to, you know, really make sure that they are, or encourage them to do two to three sensory meals a day, really help them identify those things that they're going to be doing, um, and being more present for. And then, you know, kind of the other big takeaway is just them being confident in, in, um, taking what they need and leaving what they don't. So, you know, stop enduring the sensory experience that is overwhelming to you. Use your strategies, like know what you need. Um, okay. This, you know, sports bar is going to really be really overwhelming for me. So, you know, this is what I need to be successful and, and using that and doing that, I can only stay for an hour or I need to position myself. So, Um, all the noises behind me or so all the noises in front of me, just taking a little bit more ownership and like, I understand what I need and I'm going to, I'm going to do that. that. It doesn't affect anybody else. You know, it's, it's important. Um, I don't know if you can do this, but I'm going to ask this question. Mm -hmm. Can you give us listeners an example of a patient that you treated, that you applied these principles. And I know it's never like what you're probably going to give me an example because there's so much more involved in this, but somewhat in a simple version, kind of give me an example like what did you do day one? What treatment strategies were applied? What were some of the barriers maybe that you run into for their progress? And then how that patient did it day five and what did you give them to focus on at home? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, on, on day one, the patient's telling me that they're hypersensitive to light and sound. Their symptoms are easily triggered while in a treatment room with the door open to the noisy gym. All right. So on day one, I go ahead and just shut the door and we'll just kind of focus on 
getting our assessments done and learning more about them. So now I've got a hypothesis about kind of maybe what's going on with their sensory profile. I'll um, go through that, educate them, and then we'll start with some mild stimulation, you know, just trying to get them to initiate their strategies. I'm probably having to give them um, verbal or just auditory cues or um, visual cues to initiate those strategies. And then um, once they start to get the hang of what's expected, they start to see that it's helping. And and now I've got the buy-in. So, and then I kind of warn them, okay, this is going to like, you're not going to be successful at these tasks that I give you. They're going to be too hard on purpose so that okay. you're overstimulated. Yep. But your goal is to regulate, right? So that's how I'm measuring your success. So we, you know, we go through activities. Maybe we do balavisics. Maybe we do like simulated grocery activity in the gym. Um, maybe their goal is to bounce a basketball, you know, get back to playing basketball, whatever, you know, now we go back into true OT where, or I don't want to say true OT, but we go back into, you know, our functional activities right. of whatever it is that they want to work on and, and simulate those within the gym while they are regulating their nervous system. So this patient, um, that I kind of started talking about with the hypersensitivity to light and sound practicing all week, by the end of the week, they're having minimal to no symptoms and an independent application of their strategies. And that's the more important aspect of that is that they're independent with their application of strategies. They might still have some symptoms at the end of the week, but these symptoms didn't just pop up yesterday. You know, the brain's going to take time to relearn what we want them to do. It's more important that they know what to do when they go home. What what came to my brain here when you were talking is it's not easy, I get that, but the success rate is there. Mm-hmm. Meaning that using these strategies that the patients that utilize them, practice them, recognize them that the success rate is high. You know, I'm a physical therapist and we are so as PTs focused on the motor system. Mm-hmm. Right? And just focusing on the motor system alone problems with the PT we're not at times addressing that sensory system and we don't have that quick recovery of a motor system in a lot of the diagnoses that we see especially here in the you know if there's an impairment of the central nervous system. Um, you know, and even as a PT, start really thinking, I need to integrate that sensory system, which will probably improve that motor system. But just all of those strategies you just said, so important. And I think that many OTs and PTs and people working in this in this area probably aren't looking at in moving away from FMD, but just looking at someone where that was concussed concussion, or like you said, cerebral palsy or people that may have just high anxiety that may be affecting their ability to function is to Mm -hmm. really to address and start recognizing and integrating some of these strategies. So I want to thank you for, for being here is there anything that I didn't ask that you wanted to share with our listeners? Hmm. Gosh, I don't, I guess the only thing is like, it's not, 
it's not um, it's not that hard to just implement a little bit of sensory integration in your treatment, even if you are a PT. Um, you just changing your perspective yeah. on it a little yeah. bit. I mean, I think, I mean, you guys do integrate, you know, have the vestibular system and the movement aspect absolutely within your treatment. But can you add like a little bit of tactile mm-hmm. um, aspect to to what's going on? Can you add? Um, you know, take their socks and their shoes off and put their feet in shaving cream, have them do some like art with painting with their toes and their feet. I mean, wherever their, you know, symptoms are, that's where your focus is going to be. But say they're in the, in the feet and it's walking, you know, what else can you add to alert the nervous system of like, Hey, I need you to work. (laughs) I love that. I want you to do. I love that. I love that. I'm sure. Um, Clinic owners are not going to appreciate that now the PTs are putting their patients' feet in uh, paint, and now we're going to paint with yeah. their feet. But I love that. I love that. I love that. So I want to thank you again. This is such great, great information and a topic that we haven't talked about yet. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Just a reminder, you can follow us on our social channels at The Recovery Project on Facebook, as well as on Instagram. Our website is www therecoveryproject.net. If you um, want any additional information um, at all on some of the programs that we do here or any interest in the FMD program or have any additional questions for myself or Alicia, you can contact us both through that website as well. Um, I appreciate you guys following us and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to today's Evidence to Excellence News and Neuroplasticity and Rehab Podcast. We appreciate you and hope that you come back every fourth Tuesday of the month to get more of what's new in evidence and research in the neurorehabilitation world. To learn more about The Recovery Project or to find out what we're up to next, you can visit us anytime at therecoveryproject.net.